Hey guys, Pastor Kirk here. God is on the move in Europe. And in 2004, we met Christian Barbosu and his family, and God led us to partner with them to plant Harvest Bible Chapel in Arad, Romania. And since then, believers have been multiplying and leaders have been equipped and ministries expanding, and now churches are being planted throughout Europe. We actually have a training center for church planting in Europe now, and this class is gonna be graduating what will be our 12th church planter out of those classes. And I've seen it myself. I've been there so many times. I've spent time with these pastors and with these leaders and with these churches. They want to glorify God. They want to be able to make disciples who worship, walk, and work for Christ. And God is at work there. We just hosted our second year of Harvest University in Europe. 500 people from 14 nations representing 70 different churches all came together with one mission, to glorify God. There was bold proclamation and preaching. There was workshops. There was fellowship. There was dynamic, spirit-filled worship. And God moved at this event. And we're excited about how this is going to expand in the future. Thank you for your prayers, you guys. You are loved. That fires me up. God is at work around the world. And what a privilege that we have to be a part of Harvest Bible Fellowship. We are uh, seeing other churches planted for the glory of God, and I am thankful for those, uh, those that gave their lives for missions in order to do that. And that's actually uh, the example that we see in Paul this morning in Ephesians chapter 3. So would you grab your Bibles and go with me? We're going to be there in Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, you can just uh, get, uh, you'll see our ushers coming by, just get their attention, they'll give you a Bible. I want you to have a copy of God's Word in front of you. If you don't own a Bible, you don't have one at home, please just take that one with you. Uh, We want you to have it. We want you to read it. We want you to bring it back uh, because we love to dive into God's Word uh, together. We're in Ephesians chapter 3 this morning. And just to recap, we have been looking into the mirror of God's Word and we've been seeing all these glorious truths about who we are in Christ. And uh, chapter 1, we saw that we we are chosen and we have hope, and we can see. In chapter, in chapter two, we saw that we are God's masterpiece. Last week, we saw that we are reconciled. And, and so in, really, instead, this morning, I, I know that we're looking at these procul- proclamations about who we are in Christ, but today, we're actually going to look at the example of Paul, and it begs this question. Are we all in? Are we all in? Now, my Cleveland Cavaliers adopted this phrase last year, and and they were putting it on like t-shirts. It was just one of those slogans that was supposed to rally the fan base. We got all psyched, and then we won the NBA Finals, which some of you don't understand. Like, that was a massive deal for the city of Cleveland that we won a championship Uh, We hadn't won a championship in a major sporting event in over 50 years. And then our Cleveland Indians went to the World Series in baseball, which was pretty sweet, which meant there was one guy who decided he was going to go all in before game seven, and uh, this was the result. Uh, He decided he was going to get a tattoo commemorating the year that both the Cavs and the Indians won championships in the same year. Except, uh, as many of you will remember, yeah, those, those cubbies came back and beat us. So, 
A plus for enthusiasm and effort on this guy's part, but I'm kind of thinking that he regrets that decision. Anybody else think that? Now, here's the deal. I'm asking you, are you all in for Christ and his church? Now, some of you may feel a little bit like this guy, and you feel like, um, I, you know, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I'm a, a little shaky on God and the church. I've been coming back to, like this, this, is, this church thing's kind of new for me, or, or maybe I'm coming back to it after a little while, and I'm still not, I'm not ready to like go all in just in case I kind of regret that decision. I'm not completely ready to trust. I, I really, I just want to be able to hang back a little while and observe. Listen, I am glad you're here. Some of you have made the decision, like I'm going to follow Jesus, but you're still just here. You're just kind of here. You're here on Sunday mornings when you can make it. Maybe a, a, a small group or maybe, uh, maybe you got even involved in a ministry, but you have a little bit of, ca- of the case of FOMO. You know what I'm talking about? The fear of missing out. You're just a little, like there's, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I like God. I like the church, but I don't want to be like completely committed, like all there because, you know, man, if I get a better offer for the weekend, I'm out. I'm like, I, I just, just in case there's something else, like I like God, I like the church, but, but I wouldn't, I'd have to say that I, I, don't, I don't know that it's like the, the highest priority all the time in my life. And then there are some of you who are just absolutely all in, sold out for Jesus. Like I am, I want to be a part of this. I want to worship Christ. I want to walk with Christ. I want to work for Christ. I wake up thinking about Jesus. I want to live for him. I want to be all in. I want to engage. I want to sacrifice. I want to live. I want to follow. I am all in. And this morning, we're actually going to get an example of Paul. He is someone who was all in for Christ. But I'm telling you, as we look into this text, I don't want you to think that the point is that we would look and be like, wow. Paul is just awesome. Like, that's not the point. What I hope that you understand is if Paul is willing to do this, what you're going to see is that Jesus is worth it. He's so worth it. So in Ephesians chapter 3, if you would, follow along with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 1. Paul says, For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles, Assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. And this mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I'm the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord in whom we have 
boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. Father, would you speak your word to us this morning? God, would you convince us that you really are worth it, that we would be all in? God, the messenger is nothing. The message is everything. And I pray that you would speak to us, be here with us, and impress our hearts, massage these truths deep into our souls that we would know you are worth it. You are better than anything. We're just expecting you to be here. We love that you answer that prayer. So would you uh, bless the preaching of your word? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, um, you may be all over the spectrum on that, uh, but I want to help convince you this morning. Here's our big idea. Uh, Note this. When you are gripped by the gospel, you will go, even through agony, for the glory of God. When you are gripped by the gospel, you will go, even through agony, for the glory of God. Now, I want to break that down into a few questions. Can I ask you some questions? Here's one. Has the gospel gripped your heart? Has the gospel gripped your heart? See, this is what happened to Paul. He says, verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. And you notice there's kind of a a, a break here, okay? So his thought has been interrupted. It's actually going to get picked up again in verse 14. If you look at it, it says, uh, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. And and, and so um, this, that's the reason there's an M dash at the end of verse 1. It's kind of the indication that verses 2 through 13 are like this major parentheses. And I love this. This is such a preacher move. What he's doing in verse 40, he's about ready to preach, or he's going to pray. He's about ready to pray, but he's like, I just, before I pray, I just have a few more thoughts that I need to share with you. Really want you to get this down. And what is it? Well, well he says, he starts talking about this mystery, right? He said, what in the world is that? What, like, what, what's going on here? How are we supposed to understand this? Verse 3, he says, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly. So just so you know... Uh, this mystery is not some like, it's not like some like spooky uh, episode of Sherlock. That's not what's going on here. A biblical mystery, by definition, is a divine secret that they didn't know about before that now is being revealed. You actually see that in verse 5 there. He says, uh, which Uh, This mystery which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and the prophets by the Spirit. So this is like God saying, hey, Paul, come here. I want to show you, I'm going to tell you something. Nobody else knows this yet. And I want you, you get to be the one to tell everybody. Which is kind of cool, isn't it? And some of you are squealers. And nobody ever tells you secrets. You might not even realize this, but nobody ever tells you secrets because they're afraid that you're going to say you're going to say something too, too soon. You're going to post it on Facebook. You're a squealer. Listen, Paul gets to be the squealer. God's like, I want you to be the one to tell everybody about this. It's kind of a cool job, isn't it? And so he says, this is the mystery that has not been known. Now it has been revealed by his holy apostles, by the prophets by the Spirit. So uh, Paul's being uh, understanding some things that nobody else has understood yet. That's a mystery, but here it is, verse 6. What is the mystery? What is the mystery? It's that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, 
members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So here we're talking about this Gentile Jew thing again. It's what we talked about last week. Here's the mystery. Uh, The Gentiles and the Jews, we are, as we saw last week, we are reconciled. There's no distinction anymore. There was all that racial tension. Uh, They they saw themselves differently. There was a divide. But as we saw in chapter 2, verse 14, God broke down the wall of hostility. There's no more walls. And now the, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Gentiles are coming to Christ. But crazy thing is, God's not asking those Gentiles to become Jews. But instead, verse 15, God is making one new man. That's kind of new. Now listen, listen. It wasn't new that the Gentiles would be blessed. Some of you may remember all the way back to the very first book of the Bible, the book of Genesis. You ever heard of a guy named Abraham? Well, his first, his first his name was Abram. And, and, and you got to remember, like, God created the world. It was awesome. Man steps in. We make a mess of it. And now God's got to rescue this place. And so he picks Abram. He says, hey, man, I'm going to make you, you're going to have a bunch of grandkids, and it's through your family that all the nations of the world will be blessed. So it's not new that the Gentiles would be blessed. What's the new part? What's what's the secret? Look at it. They're fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise. The secret is that Gentiles are included, and they're on the same footing as the Jews. There's no distinction anymore. In some ways, there's no advantage. They all come to Christ the same way. And the wall of hostility has been broken down. We are reconciled. And God's saying, hey, Paul, nobody's known this before, but I want you to be the one to go and tell everybody. And so Paul says, verse 6, excuse me, verse 7, he says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace. So Paul's kind of blown away by this. He's like, why? Why, why me? I, I don't deserve this. I, I don't deserve to be the one who gets to say this. Why, why, why are you choosing me? Verse 8, he says, I am the least of all the saints. Now that is not Paul having a sense of like false humility or like fishing for compliments, you know, so that we would be like, oh, Paul, no, no. That's not true. Like, that's not, you, 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 you can tell when somebody's doing that, right? Just imagine that I came up to you after service this morning, and I was like, I am the worst preacher ever, and I'm just, I'm just terrible. And like, what, what, how would you respond? Yeah, see, that's, <laughs> notice, there are some of you I will never say that to because I cannot handle your comments. I realize you're like, yeah, well, I wasn't going to say anything, but if you want the feedback, no, 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 listen. Paul is not looking for compliments to kind of make himself feel better. Uh, he, he says, I am the very least of all the saints, and that is an acute self-awareness that is the product of being exposed to the truth of the gospel. Because the gospel confronts your sin. Did you know that? Did you know? You are a sinner, and you deserve the wrath of God, and that's not good news. But the more that we learn to appreciate and understand the bad news, the greater your joy and your love for the good news. That Jesus 
paid for your sin. He took your place. He died so that you could live. And you are reconciled to God. You're no longer an enemy. You belong to him. You're not dead, but you are alive. And so the gospel gives hope, and it has gripped Paul's heart. He feels it himself. Because look again at verse 1. Don't look at me, look at the text. Verse 1, he says, for this reason I, what does it say? I, Paul. Remember, remember, that's not, that wasn't his name before, right? He used to be Saul of Tarsus. In fact, what's crazy is he used to persecute the church. He hated Christians. And what's kind of funny now, he used to be throwing them in jail, but now what does he say? He says, I, Paul, a prisoner. Now he's a prisoner for Christ. You see the irony. It means that God, the gospel, changes lives. That's why Paul is all in for Christ, because the gospel is his motivation for missions. So I'm asking you, has the gospel gripped your heart? Has God changed your life? Is there a point, can you look back and see, there was a moment, I was, I was dead in my sins, I was doing my thing, but God, he stepped in, and he's made a radical transformation in my life. Can you see the difference? Can you see the difference of who you were and who you are now? Has the gospel gripped your heart? But it's not just a past reality. Paul's saying, uh, I don't deserve this now. Not, not, not I was the least of all the saints, but I am the very least of all the saints. Why does Paul still say that? It's because the closer that you get and you move toward a holy God, the further the estimation of yourself decreases and the greater your appreciation for his grace. Has God gripped your heart? Has he done a work there? For some of you, uh, church is just kind of a thing. It's like a good thing. But it's just a, maybe a, a minor dent in your weekend when you can make it. And not exactly a, a super high priority. Uh, certainly not the most exciting thing that you've got going on. It's cool, but sometimes it's a little dry and sometimes it's a little weird. Um, if you would be honest enough to just kind of admit that, and if that's where you fall on the spectrum, I wouldn't be surprised to also find out that you haven't been opening this book outside of Sunday morning. Because the more you are exposed to the truth, the light of the gospel, if you're not doing that, you're not very self-aware. You're not going to think of yourself as the least of all the saints. And you're not going to think that he's worth it. You will never be all in for him until your heart has been gripped by the wonder of his amazing grace. Has God done that in your life? And the more you bask in the glory of his grace and his love for you, the more being on mission for him is an absolute no-brainer. He's it. So let me ask you the second question. Will you go? Will you go? And this is what happens when you are gripped by the gospel. You go. So he says, verse 8, to me, though I am the very least of all uh, the saints, this 
grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Can you hear the humility and the gratitude in his voice? I mean, he's, he sees this as an incredible privilege. There's no like, okay, I guess I'll go. No, no, no. It's like, man, I have this awesome job and I don't deserve this. This is incredible that I get to preach. I get to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And this word preach, uh, this is the word in the Greek, euangelizo. It's where we get our word evangelize. It just means to spread good news. And so Paul is just carrying out the great commission Jesus said when right before he was descended, Matthew 28, he said, go, make disciples of all nations. And Paul is just carrying this out, spreading the word that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And God is using someone as obnoxious and messed up as Saul of Tarsus to be the one, verse 9, to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Now certainly, that was kind of a unique role, especially at a time where the church was wrestling with this reconciliation and the diversity between Jews and Gentiles. But you just have to know, the Great Commission is for all of us. And if God can use someone as messed up as Saul turned to Paul, then he can use you too. And so will you go? Let me ask you this. Let's let's just make it really practical. Will you go to your neighborhood Think about the people that live on your left, on your right, maybe above you, below you, in some cases. Think about those people. Are you willing to go to them? Are you praying for them? Are you praying that God would bring them to salvation? Are you praying that God might use you to do that? And if there is an open door, do you take it? Build relationships with them. Start a gospel conversation. Invite them to church. I know that's not the be-all, end-all, but this is a place where they will hear the word of God. They will hear the gospel preached, and they'll see God's people worshiping together. And I just want to encourage you with this. I want to give you some statistics, because uh, Lifeway Research, uh, back at the end of 2008, uh, they surveyed over 15,000 people, and here's what they found. They, they, they discovered that 67% of Americans say that a personal invitation from a family member would be very or somewhat effective in getting them to visit a church. And 63% uh, say, said the same thing uh, about a friend or a neighbor. What I'm telling you is, don't underestimate the power of a personal invitation. Are we doing this? Do we want them to come here? Do we want them to hear the word of God? And 63% of Americans are very or somewhat willing to receive information about a local congregation or faith community from a family member. 56% are willing to do that from a friend or a neighbor. Are you thinking about them? Are, Are you wanting them to come to Christ? Do you want them to hear God's word? Do you want them to know? Do you want them to have the hope that we have? We're working on this too. This is hard. It's not easy. I know Carissa's meeting with, trying to meet with one of the ladies in our neighborhood. I've got a couple of guys that I'm trying to get coffee with, go to lunch with, trying to develop these relationships. We want to reach our neighbors. We don't want to think about going around the world if we're not willing to go across the street. So are you willing to go to your neighborhood? Are you willing to go to your workplace? I think think about that for a minute. Like, are, are you willing uh, to think about when you go to work? Do you, do you kind of go there thinking, I'm a missionary here? 
Do I tell people that I work with, do I tell them about the gospel? And I know we have to be careful of that. But do they know? Can they see that you are all in for Christ? Do they know that? I think about how God has planted Harvest Fairfax in the midst of all of this diversity and incredible opportunities to take the gospel into various ethnic groups and and social and political spheres. And just imagine if we got serious about being missionaries at work. I wish that we could have like an aerial view of what happens when, when God's church gathers together on a Sunday morning. And then we all spread out all over D.C. and Northern Virginia on Monday morning. We're missionaries. And are you willing to take the gospel there? Now listen, God has called all of us to this. He has. But I also want to ask some of you, will you go into overseas missions? Say, what? Maybe, maybe I realize that maybe nobody's ever even asked you that. But would you be willing? What if God upset the comfortable balance of your life as it is now and he asked you to leave the U.S. to take the gospel to another country where there is no gospel witness right now? And I know you'd have to like get some training, you'd have to raise some support, you'd have to sell all your stuff. I and mean, that sounds like a headache, but I am thankful for those who are willing to go, who are willing to take the gospel to places where it, They don't have the word of God. They've not heard the message of Christ. We just spent some time with our cousins, Logan and Kendra Teal, who are serving with New Tribes Mission in Indonesia with the Dem people. They don't have the Bible. There are still places that have not heard. And I'm just asking you, if God would ask you to go, would you follow go into vocational ministry. We're actually going to see in the next chapter, in Ephesians chapter 4, 11 and 12, that God actually gives to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, so we, some of us, we earn our living by the gospel. And we're not peddlers of the gospel, but we're, we're serving the church. This is what God has called us to do. And we would leave maybe another comfortable life and be willing to say, I want to serve. I want to be a part of this. I'm just asking if God would tell you to go into that capacity, would you follow? I think some of you need to respond when you sense God calling you because he wants to give you a special role as a gift to the church. Will you go? Are you sensing that God may be calling you to go? Listen, when I was a kid, I was growing up in church. I can't even tell you how many times pastors would get up and they'd be like, hey, man, we need more missionaries. We need more pastors. We need some people that... Uh, start serving in the church. We need some people that are willing to go. And We had all sorts of bonfires and we'd walk down and we'd throw our stick into the fire and we'd have this moment. It was, we're responding to the call of God. And I realized that maybe a lot of you don't, you never had that experience. We don't do that a whole lot. We don't do a whole lot of altar calls like that. But my fear is that God may be calling you to something more than where you're at right now and nobody is challenging you to respond. And as your pastor, I don't want to fail to uphold the word of God 
Because the Spirit might be moving and stirring in your heart even right now. And He may be calling you to do something different than you are right now. You just have to know that the fields are white for harvest. Hey, lift up your eyes and see what God sees. The fields are white for harvest. And so we're praying earnestly to the Lord of the harvest that he would send out laborers into his harvest. Is there anyone here with the spirit of Paul? Is there anyone with the spirit of Isaiah who would say, here I am, Lord, send me. Is there anybody here that would respond to that call? And that's not for the faint of heart. I know that. We've just celebrated St. Patrick's Day, which um, I realize that that holiday is probably best known for like green beer and leprechauns. Or if you come to my house, you'll get Lucky Charms for breakfast and we eat like uh, corned beef and cabbage for dinner, which I know is not super exciting for most of you. Uh, But how many of you know the story of Patrick? Does anybody know the story of Patrick? Here's the deal. Uh, Patrick was not from Ireland. Did you know that? He was actually from England, and uh, while he was a teenager, he was captured and sold into slavery, sent to the island of Ireland. And he was there for six years, and it was while he was enslaved uh, that he converted, he became a Christian. And then after he escaped, he escaped and went back to England, he, uh, he dedicated his life to the Lord, and he went into theological training, he went into the ministry, but God spoke to him in a dream and told him that he was going to go back to Ireland as a missionary. And so 25 years after he had fled, he returned to Ireland to spread the gospel. And his ministry was incredibly fruitful. God was using it. But you just got to know, the gospel is offensive, especially in a sinful culture. So he kicked the hornet's nest. And that meant that while he's seeing fruit, all these people coming to Christ, it's great. But that also means that uh, his life is in danger. And here's what he said. I love this. He said, daily, I expect to be murdered or betrayed or reduced to slavery if the occasion arises daily. But I fear nothing because of the promise of heaven. When you are gripped by the gospel, you will go even through agony. So let me ask you this. Will you suffer? Will you suffer? Patrick was willing. Paul was willing. Look at where Paul's at, verse 1. Look again. For this reason, I, Paul, a what? A prisoner. That means he's in jail. And look at what it says. Notice he does not consider himself a prisoner of Rome or of the Jews, but a prisoner for who? For Christ. This is for him. So, so Patrick and Paul, they're I'm going to suffer for Christ. That's what I want to do. Why? Because he is my treasure. And we've, we've looked at this parable. It's one of my favorites. It's up here on the stage. Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. It's so short, but, but Jesus captures such a powerful truth here. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Now just picture this, okay? A guy like stumbles across some treasure and he's like, man, this is worth more than anything that I've got. And so he covers it up and he goes to sell all of his stuff. And you just imagine the people, his friends, his brothers, his sisters, the people that are watching him do this. He's selling his stuff for this field. Like, why are you giving all that stuff? What are you doing? Why would you do that? It's because he does it in his joy because he's found something so much greater 
And so Paul is not moping around in a jail cell, like, woe is me, this is so terrible. Why did I choose to follow Jesus? This was a really bad choice. No, there's no regret in his voice. He says, this is a privilege to suffer for the cause of Christ because Jesus is worth it. And so he says, verse 13, I ask you, don't lose heart for, over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. So he's suffering for Christ, but he's also suffering for those who need to hear the hope of the gospel. And Paul says, it is so worth it. I want so badly for them to hear about Jesus. Because when your heart is gripped by the gospel, you will care more about others than your own safety and comfort. And you will willingly go even through agony because he's worth it. And I'm so thankful for the missionaries that have gone and have given everything. I said, I'm going I'm to leave it all. I found something better. I'm willing to suffer that others might come to know. We've been starting to read some of the missionary stories to our children because I want them to know the heroes of the faith that would do this, that would see that Christ is worth it. And we've been reading to our kids the story of Gladys Aylward and Amy Carmichael. And there are more. There's the story of Jim Elliott, the story of David Livingston, Brother Andrew, Hudson Taylor, St. Patrick, and Paul. Now, when we think about them, I don't want to minimize the fact that we suffer, and sometimes there are consequences because we're going to make a stand for Christ. You may have consequences at work. You may have consequences in your relationship. You're going to suffer if you make a stand for Christ. But can we just be honest that oftentimes our suffering pales in comparison to our brothers and sisters who've been willing to go into some of the darkest places to take the gospel. Are we willing to go knowing that we will suffer, knowing that it's going to cost us, knowing we're going to sacrifice, but knowing that it is so worth it and trusting the words of hope that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 4.17, you know these, that these light and momentary afflictions, he says these afflictions, this suffering, it's just, it's just temporary. It's just momentary. These light momentary afflictions are preparing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. So will you go and will you suffer I know some of you are listening to this and it sounds like foolishness to you. But for some of you, God is stirring something in your heart. So I ask you this. Will you seek the glory of God? Will you seek the glory of God? Look at verse 10. Paul gets this privilege. He's going to suffer, but he gets to preach the gospel. He gets to make known the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. Verse 10, so that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. So you just have to know that this has cosmic ramifications, okay? Uh, so Paul is telling us that these rulers and authorities, that's angels and demons. And we know that because Paul is very aware of the spiritual forces that are at work. He's going to pick that back up in chapter 6 when he tells us to put on the armor of God because we're in the midst of spiritual warfare. What's crazy is he's saying... God puts his church on display for the angels and demons 
so that they will see his manifold wisdom. You just picture the angels like they're elbowing their way to the front so they can peer into the church. And I got to tell you, when they look at us, when they look at this church, they're thinking, how in the world did these people come together? It doesn't make any sense, but they will know. And guess who gets the glory? And someday, even the demons will have to say, he is a wise God. So we have this incredible privilege of being a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. And it is not for us, but it is for His glory. Our generation, um, we're pretty confident in ourselves. Our generation is incredibly confident that our individual lives can make an impact in this world. We want to do good and, and, and we want to make an impact in this world, but we are incredibly ignorant if we think that that impact lies outside of the church. It was by God's design that it was through the church that his manifold wisdom would be displayed. And so participating in the mission of the church, making disciples of all nations, choosing to get on board with what God is doing in and through Harvest Bible Chapel Fairfax right here is aligning your life with the trajectory of cosmic impact of the greatest good in the universe. Do you want to make an impact in this world? Then help us make disciples here. And as you've seen this morning, we're a part of a fellowship. Other churches around the world doing the exact same thing making disciples where God has planted them, and we are taking new ground, seeking to plant new churches to advance the kingdom of God and the gospel. You all in? Are you all in? Now don't, listen, don't do this out of some self-centered, like, I want my life to count for something because I want to have significance. I want to be important. Don't do this for yourself. Don't do this out of pride. You are not the hero. But some of you sense this, that there's a, a holy unrest in your heart that I just can't sit still on the sidelines anymore. I want to be a part of what God is doing around the world, not for us, but for his glory. And when your heart is gripped by the gospel, you will go even through agony for the glory of God. And I'm just praying that even, I've been praying this week that God would raise up some who would say, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to get serious. I realize I, I'm, I've kind of been here Church is just kind of a thing. But I want to be all in for Christ. And I've been praying that he would raise up some. As much as it pains me to even pray this, I'm praying that he would send some of you. And he'd call you to go. And we'd rejoice in it with you. I don't know what God is doing, but I believe he's working. And he's going to do it for his honor and his glory. Amen? Father, I pray that you would Use your word. We want to take these things seriously. We're thankful for an example in Paul. Thank you for a man who is willing to be sold out, all in. But Lord, it's not about Paul. We just see that Paul saw you, and he just knew that you were worth it. And so I'm praying that you would raise up a generation that would be willing to go Maybe it's just in their workplace. Maybe it's in their neighborhood. Maybe it's around the world. Maybe it's into full-time ministry. They're going to become pastors. They're going to serve the church. They're going to serve in ministries. Lord, I'm praying that you would raise up your generation to take the gospel to the nations. Use us here 
praying that you would work mightily, not for us, but for your name. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.